This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Welcome, friend, to our weekly garden party. We hope you brought along your questions because it's time to dish the dirt. On The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Good morning and welcome to the show. I am Dean Holland, sidekick to that goddess of the garden, that grower of the green, Charlie Dobbin. How are you this morning, Charlie? I'm very well, my sidekick. (laughs) Uh, I would like to say, I mean, I don't want to complain, but I haven't seen a cloud since I don't remember. I mean, every day is blue and sunny here. Gorgeous, gorgeous weather. But boy, are my plants hurting for water. Yeah. And you have a big property to water, do you? I mean, well, I don't even try to water the whole property, but just the trees and the vegetables. And yeah, today's watering day for sure. And but of course, I'm limited. My my well only has so much water in it. So, yes, it's a it's an interesting dance here between gardening and well watching. (laughs) Gotcha. I I have my sprinkler on one section right now as we speak, actually. Yeah. Just doing a little bit of watering this morning because you're right. It's been uh, we've had some rain up here in the Collingwood area, yes, but you now have. It's, we have, and it was a lot, but now it's been a few days again and it's looking dry again. It's a few weeks here, not a few oh. days. Oh my We're goodness. Talking, the, I mean, since June 21st, we've had one significant rainfall. So almost two months, one significant, meaning three centimeters, like, or maybe it was more than that. It was, hmm. Yeah. I think it was about three or five centimeters, whatever it was. It was a good chunk of water, but yeah. that's it in two months. Is there anything that you can do to help? Is there other Rain than water? Dance. Yeah. Oh, okay. dancing. Oh, you know what? That's a great question. Uh, I would love to answer some that question in terms of suggestions for water saving. But mm-hmm. let's get those numbers out so yeah, we yeah. can get some callers to ask for sure. and get involved in the show. But yeah. you're absolutely correct. It's a perfect time to talk about great gardens with less water. Okay. So the number in Toronto to call if you're in Toronto is 416 360 0740 or toll free anywhere in the province of Ontario. That is 1 866 740 4740. And of course, we'd love for you to let Carlos know if you are a first time caller because then I will give you your garden wings. Yay! And, yeah, and we want you to call often. We want you to call early. And I can see some callers on the line already. My goodness. And please, 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 one question per call. Okay. Point. I love that mantra. Just a quick before we head off to a break. I just want to, you know, give a big thank you to, obviously the. Zoomer Media, but also uh, we had some winners in the Healing Gardens contest. I don't know if you know, but the you know the doc series that I'm hosting mm-hmm. called Healing Gardens has been uh, was airing on Vision TV. All ten episodes. Once those ten episodes had aired, uh, the opportunity to win a trip anywhere that the garden route via train will take you was won by Michael and Dagmar, a couple who live in Belleville. So we had some fun meeting in one of the beautiful parks here in Belleville and they got their big plaque and, and they're, uh, I think they're off right now to Quebec city, enjoying some of the gardens out there. So congratulations to them. And, beautiful. Uh, 
Yeah, fun. It was a fun thing. And it was just to remind everybody, Healing Gardens can be watched on the web. Healing, go to Vision TV, Healing Gardens, and all 10 episodes are there on your computer. Okay, and with that, we have to go to our first break. But when we return, we'll have much more right here on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. And yes, indeed, there is lots going on in the garden right now, which is why we are here. I'm Dean here with Charlie Dobbin. And Charlie, let's uh, let's get to our first caller. We're going to a place called Albanston, which not sure exactly where that is, but uh, we've got Diane on the line. Welcome to the Garden Show, Diane. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Albanston is in the middle of Sarnia, London, and Chatham, basically in the middle oh, of nowhere lovely. or the middle of everywhere. <laughs> lovely. <laughs> Thanks for calling. Yes, I want to know how and when to trim back uh, honeysuckle. Uh, good question. Is it a vine or a shrub? Vine. Okay, honeysuckle vine. Uh, generally, we well with vines, the trimming is based on removing dead wood. So anything that's dead can come out anytime. Um, the other, and you're training your honeysuckle to grow on something, a trellis, an arbor, whatever. Uh, so generally, you don't have to do a lot of trimming unless you're finding that it's a bit scraggly and thin and, you know, you want it thicker and more dense. Then trimming the tips when it's finished, when there's no flowers, obviously, on it, would be a great time to uh, encourage bushiness. So that would usually be back in sort of late June, early July. For now, I probably wouldn't. I mean, you could. I wouldn't do a lot of trimming right now. If you really want to do trimming at this time of year, I'd wait till more mid-September, and then it's ready okay. to go next spring. I want, to do, I want to do quite a bit on one of them, because instead of having it climbing up my trellis, I want it to now run across the ground. Oh, as a ground cover. Mm-hmm. That can be tricky. <laughs> when you want it to stay flat, it might just want to go up. Uh, well, I, I well, have two, and one is, one is going beautifully flat across the ground. Uh, okay. And the other one I did train to go up the trellis, and now I'm going, I like it going across the ground. Across, <laughs> it goes across rocks. All right, so so what I would do then, though, like I say, um, it's only the middle of August, so and you're in a really warm part of the province, so you could, so, I mean, you're going to take it down off the trellis, you're going to, you know, tell it to lay down. So some of them are going to spring back up. So the ones, the, the um, canes or branches that insist on going vertical. Do you know? Cut those back. You may even have to cut them right back to the main stem, uh, and okay. recognize that this is going to be a bit of a process, and you're going to really concentrate on it next spring and summer rather than this mm -hmm. year, just because it's a bit late in the season to do a lot of real training with something like that. Right. Okay. Okay. Oh, okay. So there isn't anything as specific as to how far I can cut it back at, like a third or. I oh, mean, you know what? Honeysuckle is a pretty vigorous plant. Generally, you're right. A third is we never take off more than a third. Uh, but remember, you can always take off anything that's dead, diseased or damaged at any time of year. And that doesn't count. And then the right, rest yeah. of it. Um, yeah, you're right. I wouldn't take 80 percent of it off now, particularly now, because the issue now is it's the middle of August when we do a lot of pruning. Plants will respond because we it's very invigorating to prune. So they're going to shoot out a whole bunch of new growth in the next couple of weeks, assuming it's warm and, and moisture is available. And that will be very soft, new, tender growth that could get killed off in the frost. But 
you're way down south there, so you're not going to have frost till probably Christmas. So you're you're good. I mean, I if I were you, I I wouldn't hesitate. If you want to take off as much as a third, even a half, don't worry about it. And I could. Thanks that. for the question, there, Diane. Okay, thank you. Appreciate. Yeah, appreciate it a lot. Okay, Albanston. Now we go to Mississauga, and we have Teresa. Teresa, welcome to the Garden Show. What do you got for Charlie? Hi, good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. Um, morning. I have a beautiful, beautiful 35, 40-year-old magnolia tree. And mm. we noticed in the last couple weeks, uh, the leaves are going, it's like a, a black and gray, and then the, uh, the leaf turns yellow, and all these black and gray spots all over. Help. <laughs> I want to say Okay, don't worry. What you know what that is? Right. It's probably sticky too. If you if you ever like stood below this tree and there's it's is it sticky on the ground? Is it a patio below? No, no, it's on the grass. Oh, it's, it's on the grass, so you're not able to tell. Uh, okay, so if you look closely at the um, plant, the magnolia have a very smooth gray bark, but and you know obviously big green leaves. Magnolias are very susceptible to an insect called scale. So S-C-A-L-E. Okay. Uh, it looks like a little puffs of waxy stuff on the bark of the tree. Usually you'll notice it more towards the tips and on the branches. But if it's a very bad infestation, that, that infestation will go right back to the main trunk and down the plant. It will weaken and it will eventually kill the tree. So if you oh, can no. see scale then you need to uh, look after that scale. And I'm just, the funny thing about scale insects is that they are um, every, there's, they're very specific. So the insect scale for magnolia only goes on magnolia. There's a scale for euonymus, there's scale for different plants, very, very specific. The, I'm just trying to double check here because with, it's all about timing. Uh -huh. You can, yeah, to, to annihilate the scale. When it's a mature insect it, and it's got that fuzzy, waxy stuff on, yeah. all the sprays in the world will not penetrate and will not kill the, the insect. A sharp blast of water is usually a good place to start. Try knocking off the scale with water. <clears throat> but you can spray an insecticide and it's just a question of when. And I'm sorry, but I'm just double checking because it's like I say, it's uh, the when is very, very different uh -huh. uh, when uh, Toronto. Uh, OK, so this is the right time. Late August and September is the time when scale eggs will hatch. When they hatch, the little baby scale insects don't have the cover. They don't have that waxy uh, fuzzy covering nor do they have an oyster shell oyster shell kind of a covering so they're they're crawling around they're very susceptible to insecticides so horticultural oil part of a dormant spray kit can be very effective if you go to your local garden center ask for horticultural oil or a dormant spray kit which is two different bottles one is the oil one is the lime sulfur follow the instructions on when and what like when to spray and how much to dilute the oil okay. to spray the magnolia. Okay, and so don't, don't like I say, late, late August, September, you should be quite effective. And horticultural oil. Horticultural, yes. Okay. It's just a light mineral oil. And I sprayed that in late August, early September? Yes. Oh, I see. Okay. 
Okay, thank you so much for that question, Teresa, and uh, we wish you luck on your magnolia. Love those magnolias. Yeah, mag beautiful yeah. trees. Mine's been blooming, actually. Poor little confused tree. It's got must have 10 blooms on it right now, and it was supposed to save those for next spring. Oh, my goodness. Okay, yeah. got to take a quick break, another one, uh, but we will be right back with much more on The Garden Show. Daffodils and daisies, bluebells and begonias, forsythia and foxgloves, marigolds, magnolia, lavender and lupins, dahlias, delphiniums, stalks, fox, hollyhocks, tulips and sweet williams. You've picked the right place for everything floral. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, yeah, we are back with much more on The Garden Show. Going to give those numbers out again. Uh, if, you, <clears throat> if you're in Toronto, please use this number, 416-360-0740, or anywhere else in the province of Ontario. It's a toll-free call, 1-866-740-4740. And uh, we are now going to go to uh, Etobicoke. We have Sandra on the line. Good morning and welcome to The Garden Show, Sandra. Hello. You there, Sandra? Yeah, hello. Good morning. Good morning, Charlie Dean. I don't have a question. I actually have a tip on your water saving. Ah. Um, our air conditioner, instead of it just being pumped down an internal drain, is pumped outside, and we collect the water. And it's a huge amount of water. I can collect five liters easily a day. Yeah, good stuff. Yeah, no, that's a good point. I do the same thing with my dehumidifier. Okay. <clears throat> take all the water that my dehumidifier collects into pails and take it out to the garden. So, yeah, you're right. There's some great ways that water is part of our world and can be used on the garden pail by pail. So thanks exactly. for that. It has a small pump in, inside and it's just pumped outside. And then yeah. I have a, a, a truck that I nice. can it in. Okay. And, um, good also, stuff. Rain barrels, I suggest those for everybody yes. because I have close to 20 planters. I never use tap water, and it also yeah. waters my vegetable garden. I know we don't and have rain a lot of rain, but it's surprising how much you can collect. That's true, and rainwater is the best. It's the cleanest, clearest, mm -hmm. freshest. Plants love rainwater. Yeah, I just have two of them, and um, it's only my lawn that I use tap water for. Mm. Good stuff. Thanks, okay, Sandra. No, yeah. Thanks, Sandra. We appreciate that a, a ton. Yeah. That's great. I have one rain barrel, and there's no question. I could probably use a massive cistern to save some of that spring rainfall because that's what happens, right? We get rain, fall, and it appears we get rain spring and fall, but not a lot in the summer. So, yes, you can only save so much in one rain barrel. I need like 20. Uh, you know, I, I have one as well. I hadn't thought of uh, I hadn't thought of the dehumidifier water, which I'm dumping copious amounts of it down the drain these days. Oh, you see? So, and you know, it's another cool thing. My neighbors have started doing it. When you get in the shower, take a couple of pails with you into the shower so yeah. that the overspray goes oh. into the pails. Or even when you turn on the shower and it's a bit cold before you get in, sit, grab that water. So it's all just kind of, you know, wherever we can grab water and not let it go down the drain is a good thing. Wow. Wow. Good, good, good tips. Okay. I have a first time caller on the line. We are going to uh, Karen, who is calling from Niagara. Welcome to the Garden Show, Karen. Thank you very much. I'm going to give you your garden wings. Hello. Welcome there you to the go. show. Oh, okay, Charlie. I have a problem with my garden tomatoes. Uh, I have lush green plants, vines, and plenty of fruit, but uh, uh, probably 90% of the tomatoes get black on the bottom, and they eventually consume the whole tomato. Uh, we're very dry here as well, and I'm wondering if that could play a part. 
Um, I also have the tomato worm, but we uh, we just uh, take them off. Uh, is there any remedy without spraying? Uh, no, there is no spray for what you're experiencing with the, the black yeah. ends on your tomatoes. What's it's actually called? called blossom end rot, and it's connected to calcium and the movement of calcium inside the plants. Are your tomatoes in pots or in the ground? In the ground. In the ground. Is your soil very well drained? Is it like a very sort of a sandy, uh, yeah, granular yeah. soil? <clears throat> yes, I would say so. Right. So what you mm. have to do in the future, you can't undo where you've got those that rot happening. Though you're right, those tomatoes tend to be composted rather than eaten, though they don't taste that bad if you can get them off before they're completely black and just take the good part but mm-hmm. it all comes back to water so I know I recognize what you're saying about being dry and it's tough to keep the water but it's it's consistent water tomatoes oh, particularly and water. peppers and eggplants they're all the same family they need consistent water so it okay. doesn't mean like pouring the water on and then waiting a week it's more like every two or three days making sure they're getting the equivalent of roughly a quarter to a half an inch of water whether it's with the sprinkler or with your hose or with watering cans each plant and i'm going to talk we're going to talk more about amendments to your soil on ways to try and maintain the moisture in your soil so that when it's like this so hot so dry that the moisture is retained a little longer do you mulch do you have mulch around your Uh, tomatoes no not in the garden no yeah, so you may find that it, uh, just bark mulch. Uh, I usually put that in my walkways where I'm walking, and then I'll put it around plants like tomatoes, just to, not touching the plant, of course, but just trying to, again, maintain the, the moisture for as long as possible. It does tend to evaporate out of the soil when the sun beats down. Okay. So moist, so consistent moisture for the future tomato crops, and and make sure that you are uh, wa- um, using some fertilizer. There are fertilizers for tomatoes, and they'll say right on them, you know, with calcium or whatever about calcium. So making sure there is adequate calcium in the soil is important, but mm-hmm. you have to have the water there in order for the calcium to be available to the tomatoes. Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks for calling, and I'm sorry that you're having that problem. And the tomato hornworms are so ugly. Pick and squish, pick and squish. Yeah, how romantic. How romantic. Yeah. Thanks for that, They Karen. are so ugly. I don't know if you've ever seen one, Dean, but I even yeah. had my neighbor bring a jar over. Just She was, like, freaking out. What are these things? <laughs> From another planet. Yeah. <laughs> yes, okay. that, they're huge. Yeah. Uh, we do have some lines open uh, and some uh, callers waiting, but I'm going to give those numbers out again. 416-360-0740. Don't be shy. You know, we love to get your questions. one 740 is the toll-free number for anywhere else in the province. Now, you mentioned amending soil, and uh, we were we were chatting earlier about a, a new uh, kind of a bag. of. It's a product very interesting to me. I, I know. I sent you a photo. Okay, yeah. so this is a really fun story, and it, it actually turned out to be a really fun event as well. Uh, one of our listeners, uh, her name is Kelly, who lives in Mississauga, but is very good friends of some sheep farmers on an island called Amherst Island in the Thousand Island chain off of Kingston. She listens to the show. She contacted me and said, you know, my friends at Topsy Farms 
are making this fertilizer that's based on the when you shear the lambs or any any lambs in the um, late spring early summer when they're all sheared the only keeper wool is the backs and the legs right the belly and the bum wool is not used for making sweaters because it's all completely inundated with urine and and sheep poop. So what the Topsy Farms people are doing is they're taking that what's called belly grade wool and then doing some composting of it, doing some grinding of it, bagging it up into two kilogram bags, and it's called wool pellet fertilizer. So there, there I am with this bag of, of wool chunks, and the idea is that we, you incorporate the wool into the soil as you're planting, so you're adding this wool, which will hold moisture in your soil as the sun beats down and no rain falls, so you've got that wool as a, as a moisture holding component, but you also have the wool slowly decomposing, and as it decomposes, it gives off both potash and nitrogen, both of which are, you know, essential nutrients for plant growth. So I was pretty excited. I went, wow, I think this is cool stuff. And then I discovered Amherst Island isn't that far from where I live. So Elliot and I went for a field trip to the farm and we met Kelly there and Lindsay and a, a, a number of the people who live and work on, at Topsy Farms. And it, it was so much fun. Like this is... um. Like, imagine in 1972, a boatload of draft dodgers, like, rowing, I think, from <laughs> from the United States across Lake Ontario, rolling in, you know, rowing up to this island, showing up and starting a commune to raise sheep eventually. And here we are 50 years later, multi-generations later, uh, Topsy Farms is still run by the same people who started it 50 years ago. And it's very, very hippie based, but it's a beautiful place. It's so well designed for, they've got the Monarch Butterfly Way Station. They've got all kinds of interesting animals, beautiful trees, walking paths, and lots of great wool products, you know, blankets, etc. But the fertilizer was what really grabbed me. And when we went, Elliot and I went for our field trip, we actually participated in a sheep drive where you're driving the sheep from one field to another field. And we, we, our participation was to be part of the human fence to keep the sheep from deking away from following the leader and uh and that was so much fun like we're you know we're such city kids in so many ways it was it was really good really that sounds, fun sounds really neat and that sounds like a really innovative an innovative product yeah and i you know what my daughter does all her gardening in containers on a balcony in downtown toronto and this is going to be an absolute boost for her because containers always dry out faster than the ground so I'll, I'll probably end up sharing some of this with her or maybe if i can get another bag i'll get her her own bag for next spring yeah and, and theoretically it should keep your plants warm during the winter too well, with all that wool <laughs> <laughs> oh good point so it's called sally's garden wool pellet fertilizer i do th it shows it's available on etsy i don't know if that's true or not but it should be available coming soon to a garden center near you Okay, okay. Okay, let's go to uh, Ajax. We have another first-time caller. Uh, Ella, welcome to the show. Hello. Hello, Good Ella. I'm Morning. Gonna, I have I'm going to give you question. your garden wings, Ella. Okay, hold on. Okay. Uh, there, there you go. go. Well welcome. earned. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I have a silly question. We have tiny, tiny little black flies buzzing around the house, 
and I don't know what they are or how to get rid of them. I'm wondering if they come from uh, any plants I have in the house. Did you have quite a lot of house plants? Uh, yes, I do. Uh, okay. Uh, uh, do you have any fruit inside the house, like apples, bananas, that sort of thing on the counter? Uh, not usually, no. Okay. So it's prob okay, because there's two things that can happen. We start seeing fruit flies inside our house in the next month or so as we bring in the harvest. But you're right. Probably what you have is something called fungus gnats. So fungus, G-N-A-T-S, gnats. Uh-huh. And they do live in the soil of your houseplants. If you are the kind of person who likes to keep the soil moist all the time, you will have fungus growing in the soil. And these little gnats absolutely love to live in your soil and eat and eat that fungus. So what you need to do if you want to, and you'll know for sure, go to any of the plants where you feel those gnats might be living. With the palm of your hand, bang the side of the pot. If a whole cloud of tiny little what look like fruit flies come out of the pot, then you'll know it's fungus gnats. Oh. And, uh, and there's two things I recommend. One is pull back on your watering. Start watering uh, less frequently. Do water thoroughly, but don't water as often, so the soil will dry down between waterings. You'll have less fungus, fewer insects, and then get a hold of something that's called sticky sticks. So sticky, like flypaper, S-T-I-X, sticks, little yellow sticky cards that you will put on little um, po- little um, sticks that will go into the, the your pots uh-huh. of your, your different plants. And the fungus gnats, as they're flying around, are very attracted to the yellow and will get stuck and they die on the yellow sticky sticks, which means they will not lay more eggs. The whole process can take up to a month, but you should be able to eliminate all of them. Okay, thank you very much. You're yeah, very thanks, welcome. Thanks for the question, yeah. Ella. And I don't think that was a silly question at all. Me neither. Yeah, I thought it was a good question. And, well, and tell me, it's it's not that unusual of a question. It definitely happens to people with that have their lots of houseplants and they're very good parents to their houseplants and keep them moist, uh, too moist actually, and end up with the gnats. I think we should come up with a, a more romantic name though than fungus gnats. <laughs> <laughs> How oh about my goodness. Fruit- Fruit fly lookalikes. Yeah, something like that. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we got a caller from Stouffville on the line. We are going to talk to Nancy now. Welcome to the Garden Show, Nancy. Thank you. Um, I want to plant uh, cedars along a fence line. Uh, my neighbor keeps piling snow uh, for this and onto my property, and so I thought a nice way of blocking it would be cedars. <laughs> And the thing is, it's in an area that I can't get water easily to. What do you, time of year do you recommend that I put in these cedars <clears throat> that nature can take care of it? I was thinking of six-foot swamp cedars, one foot on center. Hmm. Okay, uh, good point. Um is the fence a chain link fence or a wooden fence? No, no, it's a um, uh, the post uh, post fence with wire that right. needs replacing, but he's been he's been knocking it over with the snow. So, right. I'm um, trying to be okay, nice I, about this. I, 
this to do this most affordably how long how many um what's your distance you're trying to plant probably 120 feet oh wow that is big all right so first of all i wouldn't do one foot on minimum would be 40 feet that would take care of the where he dumps the snow Okay. So number one, three foot on center. So 18 inch each plant. I go at least 18 inch on center. You could even go two foot rather than one foot. Okay. 18 inches on center. Yes. Okay. Because you don't, yeah, you want these plants to be able to grow. Like you don't want them just banging into each other. And they're going to also compete for this limited water you referred to. I would amend the soil. Before you plant, get um, all kinds of organic matter, whether it's bags and bags of organic um, composted manure or your own homemade compost or, you know, out to one of your local horse barns. There's lots of farms around the Stouffville area and get organic matter into the soil and that will help hold moisture. So get that done. You to do this most affordably by what's called bare root cedars in the spring. Uh, in your area, I'm sure there's somebody selling bare roots. So swamp cedars, they're literally pulled up out of the swamp. They knock all the soil off, and you only buy them and plant them early in the spring. And they're very, very affordable to buy. But the day you get them is the day you plant them. So you've got your trench ready mm-hmm. to go. You've got all your soil amendments. Everything's ready to go. And, um, yeah, I mean, there's Angelo's Garden Center in the Richmond Hill area definitely sells and delivers bare root cedars. Swamp cedar, good idea because they're native. I probably wouldn't go as much as six footers. I'd probably start with three to four footers because the younger plants will get established more quickly than the taller ones. And be prepared to water. Be prepared to haul a couple of watering cans if you have to. Okay. Um, He'll just dump the snow on top of it if it's only three foot. Oh, I see. He's that kind of neighbor. Wow. What about, I mean, it'd be kind of ugly, but what if you planted four-foot cedars and then you put an orange snow fence in front of them for the first winter or two? Would that just be too much? That's an option. That is a really good idea. I like that. There you go. (laughs) Um, Not to mention ugly. (laughs) Yeah, good. Um, (laughs) Sorry, I'm... I shouldn't say stuff like that. No, it's okay. Um, it happens. Yeah. What I uh, what I would so you're saying, don't plant them in fall. No, no. I get well unless you've got an unlimited budget. The thing is, you cannot get bare root at this time of year. So it, oh. it, you're going to pay a lot of money for six, four to six foot cedars. Do not get emerald cedars. Get like you said, no, no, well, no, swamp no, cedars no, only come bare root, as far as I know. But yeah. you can get white or black cedar potted. But you are going to pay quite a bit of money. Okay, Nancy. I, I'm sorry. I have to Thank run to so a much. break. Thank well, thanks you. for Thank your you. question. And yeah, thanks yeah, best for calling. Of luck with that. Yeah, and uh, you know, I think it's a great idea. Uh, cedars, uh, snow fence, and maybe a bouncer. There we are. <laughs> a dog, a big a dog. dog. There we are. Okay, we have to take a quick break, but we will be right back with much more right here on The Garden Show. Don't change stations just because the weather changes. Garden tips and advice all year round. This is The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin, exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Oh, yeah, I'm Dean Holland here with Charlie Dobbin. Uh, and the numbers to call, 416 3600740. That's the Toronto number, or toll free anywhere else in the province of Ontario, 1 866 
740-4740. We're going to go to uh, Gabrielle on the line. Uh, Gabrielle and uh, Richmond Hill, you're calling from. Welcome to the show. Good morning, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. Thank you for taking my call. My question is, I have a problem with beans, uh, the poles, and they're dry. It's about 10 feet, maybe higher. For the four feet from the ground, the leaves, they all turn brown, with brown spot, and they fall in it. And they don't have as many beads on. Um, I don't know what is going on. I never see anything like that. Can you tell me what caused that? Some kind of virus, some kind of bugs? I don't see any uh-huh. bugs. I water them, you know, almost every day because the 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 why they're so hot. So sure. what do you think might be? Well, are they? What kind of beans are they? They're pool mm-hmm. beans. What are they? Like green, just green string beans, or something yeah, else? Just green string beans. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So what I think is going on is something that you cannot control, and that is the temperature. As it gets really hot, as it's been, plants stop growing. And some plants are even more susceptible to the to the heat. It's like the cold, right? Everything slows down in the cold. Everything slows down when it gets really hot. So beans have stopped flowering due to the heat. And when you don't have flowers, you don't have fruit. Right. Um, if the plants can stay alive between now and the next month or so, they could start flowering again. But you're and I wouldn't water every day. I'd be careful about watering every day. Water thoroughly every two or three days, and and keep an eye. Um, good garden hy- hygiene. If leaves are falling, then certainly uh, remove those. Get a little rake out and rake those out. There are some fungal diseases, uh, as the humidity has been quite quite high as well, that can affect beans. But I would blame it more on the temperature. That it's just a, a heat thing. Well, I have a two row. The one is faced more to the sun. Half the row, it, it turned out the way I described. The other one, it, they just grow normally, green, beautiful leaves. Uh, just, you know, it kind of puzzled yeah. me. I never seen anything yeah. like this before. That's why. Right. So the one that's in a little bit less sun, a little bit shaded, is greener than the one that's in full sun. And again, that goes back to temperature. The, Correct. The sun yeah, is I, I was down. wondering. But, there is nothing else I can do. Just not water every day. Like I water yesterday morning. I did not water Good. today. So maybe should I water yeah. them tomorrow? But well, the leaves, it looks like they are wealthy. They require some water. Okay, so... Uh, it's hard to diagnose over the radio. What I would do is get out a trowel, a little tool of some co- of some kind. You watered yesterday, so today at some point, go out and dig down with your trowel and check the soil moisture. It might be that it looks really dry on the surface and there's lots of moisture down two inches, or it might be that your soil is so well-drained that it's dry down six inches. If that's the case, you're right. You're going to have to water every second day, um, but for sure, don't. it's not a problem for the plant to dry out uh, you know, slightly every couple of days. Main thing is you don't want to keep them soggy or too wet. Uh, so, and you never know. The surface can look like concrete or really, really dry, but down an inch, there's lots of moisture. And again, it goes back to mulch. If, uh, consider a bark mulch, an organic layer on the surface of the soil around your beans, and that will help keep in moisture as well. Sounds okay, thanks great. for the call. Thank yeah, so thanks much. for the question, Gabriel, and yeah. uh, all the best with that. And some things are are hard to diagnose, of course, over the phone. <laughs> um, I know some people send you pictures, mm-hmm. and you can do that. Uh, Charlie's email is c.dobbin 
at mzmedia.com. So that's always an option if you want to send a, a picture uh, for Charlie to look at as well. Um, let's go to uh, Maureen in uh, North York. Uh, she's been on the line for a little while. Welcome to the Garden Show, Maureen. Yeah, good morning, uh, Charlie. Good morning, Dean. I'm actually calling uh, with an appeal to bees and butterflies. You know, we wouldn't have gardens without bees. And, and uh, so they need water. But the important right. thing, especially for butterflies, is they cannot get their wings wet. So if you've got a bird bath or water out for birds, uh, put a stone that's above the water level for the bees and the butterflies to land on so they can get a drink. Because especially like you, Charlie, here in North York, the rain yeah. ain't been in the picture for a long time. <laughs> really? So, you know, they, yeah. uh, they need water, too. Oh, you're absolutely right. It's like you said, at birds, bees, butterflies. I even have garter snakes coming and drinking out of my watering cans. So, yes, all the little critters out there need water. And butterflies, you're right, they're very susceptible to the wind blowing them into bodies of water. So even just a rock like a, with a shallow indentation in it, um, even some rotting fruit is a very effective way to get liquid into the bees and the butterflies. Not too near your house, obviously obviously, just out a little bit. But butterflies don't like the wind when they're getting a drink, and they definitely do need water. Yeah. Okay, thanks for and that, Maureen. Yeah, we, yeah good tip. Thank you. Appreciate that a lot. Great. Okay, uh, I, we have to go to our, our last break, and so we'll do that right now, but we will be back with much more on The Garden Show. Fur and feathers and bugs of all size. There's more going on in the garden than you realize. Should small creatures become a big problem, then you've got The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Exclusively on Zoomer Radio. Yeah, we're back with more on The Garden Show. Uh, The lines are open. 416-360-0740. Still time to get your question in. Uh, 1-866-740-4740 is the toll-free number. Uh, Charlie, I had a a quick... uh, It's sort of an additional question about the the honeysuckle. Um, So I have two honeysuckles that grow up a trellis very happily. But over the years, my kids with their various balls and hockey pucks have destroyed the trellis. Uh, so I wish to replace it. Now, of course, my my honeysuckle is growing up about, you know, eight feet. Um, and I don't know the best way to go about that. Do I have to just, you know, cut the whole thing off and start again? Or what should I do? Um, well, the... The way honeysuckle grows is the older growth is going to be quite woody and and, uh, rigid. So that's going to be hard to retwine into a new trellis. But what I think I would do is I would try and carefully, by hand, untangle the existing honeysuckle from the existing trellis and bring the honeysuckle forward off the house, assuming the trellis is on the house. And so it's going to flop forward down onto the walkway or driveway or whatever and be ready with your, once that's all down, some, if any, as breakage will happen as you're doing this, have pruners ready. So you, you know, you kind of have to you're going to have to do some cutting, some untwining, untangling, uh, and, and just sort of bring it down as carefully as you can. At the end of the day, you are going to end up pruning some of it away. There's no question. Take away the old trellis. Get the new trellis installed. Remember, we don't put it flat on the house. It's got to be no. off the house by an yep. inch or so. Yeah, and I've got it once, off by about two inches, I think. So. Yeah, perfect. And then once that's installed, 
then, of course, now it's the process. Get all hands on deck and everybody can take an hour or so of individually retwining the honeysuckle back into the new trellis. Again, there will be some breakage, some bends that won't actually survive. So just be prepared to do a little bit of pruning. And and then when you stand back and go, boy, that's a bit of a scraggly mess, don't hesitate to hold – if it's eight feet tall, don't hesitate to bring the whole thing down to about yeah five feet tall – before you even start, just take a straight line okay. across the top and only work with five feet instead of eight. Uh, and next spring, it'll take off for you. And, and am I okay to do that now, between now and September? Or Yeah, you could yeah. Okay. for sure as a, as a garden chore and a, and yep. a family uh, event. <laughs> Why oh, not? Yeah. The boys who broke my trellis, they will be the ones retwining <laughs> it in. So, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Uh, We have, you got an email from Dave in a very apropos place for the garden show, Bloomfield, New York. And uh, he says, you know, have you heard of the old farmer's tale? The thicker the onion skins, the harder the winter will be. Don't know about the rest of the world, but here in upstate New York, my onion and garlic skins are very, very tough. He says, God help us if the tale is true. <laughs> it's so funny. Yeah, there's a, there's always that forecasting, right? So, um, of course, the old farmer's almanac is amazing at winter forecasts. And there's some really, really cute little rhymes out there. You know, for example, squirrels gathering nuts in a flurry will cause snow to gather in a hurry. Uh, so watch your squirrels. Um, see how high the hornets nest will tell how high the snow will rest uh on and on and on lots of cute little then there's the onion skin very thin mild winter coming in onion skin ah. thick and tough coming winter cold and rough gotcha so that is that is a, definitely been around that saying of thick onion skins thick garlic skins look out cold winter, rough winter coming. Um, Other signs of a bad winter, even um, thicker than normal corn husks will indicate Mm. a harsh winter. Um, Tough apple skins, um, thick hair on a cow's neck. If you want to go check out a cow's neck. Uh, Larger spider webs, uh, plentiful berries and nuts, which might be why the squirrels are so busy. So, and there is some science behind all this, the, the La Ninas and the what happens with, with um, uh, water currents and wind currents. So there is some science, but there is a lot of anecdotal information. So, Dave, I'm afraid you might be on to something. This might wow. be a chilly winter coming. So let's all keep that in mind and get some good books to read and chop some firewood and get some wool blankets from Topsy farms and we'll be good to go yes and uh, those plants are pretty darn intuitive my goodness they just seem to know well plants um, and insects insect the insects and the birds and the bees they're they're all telling us stuff if we pay attention mm-hmm. um i got another email from aldina she has a pink clematis that's not looking good and she'd appreciate advice on how to strengthen it she bought it last year in the summer but didn't put it in the ground till the fall it grew a bit but the leaves mostly uh, yellowed and didn't flower it has only one thin stalk and two short ones is getting lots of sun and it's watered regularly okay so this is a great question aldina i've run into this so many times where people fall in love with a clematis plant it and then they think it's not the right place so they move it and then it doesn't do well so they move it and every year they move it and every year it doesn't do well the trick with clematis is leave it alone (laughs) let it get established Don't worry about flowers. Don't worry about leaves. I mean, you do want a few green leaves, but um, make sure you're not overwatering it. Lots of sun is good, but remember, we the root.
roots should have some shade. The, the top or the, you know, the stems, branches of the clematis need to grow into the sun. So we always talk about, you know, feet in the shade, head in the sun when it comes to clematis. But be happy with where it is. Don't panic. Keep an eye on it. Do water regularly, but don't overwater, and uh, and check if you're not sure. Get something that there's a little bit of shade around the base, and in the spring, cut that plant down, regardless of how many stalks there are and how tall it is. Cut it down to four inches tall next spring, round about March or April or May, and expect it to be a little bigger. Maybe not a lot of flowers. It takes at least three to four years for clematis to really look good. Okay. And uh, in our last uh, minute, do you have any, you said some, maybe some water conservation suggestions you, you might have off the top of your head. I know we talked about rain barrels. We talked about, uh, I guess, the, sh- the shower water. I the, guess we yeah, probably the mulch. Yeah. Mulch is a great one. Uh, collecting leaves in the fall, deciduous tree leaves as they drop from the trees. Keep them on the property. Chop them all up with your lawnmower. Put them on the surface of the soil create leaf mulch so yeah there's a there's a few things and there's we can talk more but I, th- yeah. I think this wool pellet is an interesting amendment i'll certainly be reporting back more about that one yeah is there any merit to putting uh, grass clippings on the garden does that help yeah there can be just be careful okay. you don't put them on too thick gotcha. best okay. to dry them first okay thanks dean thanks yeah, thank carlos you. thanks to all our great callers see you again next week This has been an exclusive podcast of The Garden Show with Charlie Dobbin. Heard every Saturday morning at 9 on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.